1: Hello, my name is Stuart Miles and welcome to the Pocket Lint Podcast. This week, Huawei has held its latest flagship product launch that saw the company reveal a new foldable smartphone and a couple of smartwatches. But should you pay attention, Pocket Lint's Cam Bunton was at the event in Milan and joins us to tell us more. Meanwhile, I've been talking to the Chief Technology Officer of leading automotive group Stellanis, a company that has brands including Peugeot, Citroën and Vauxhall, to name a few, to find out what tech is important to our cars and what's in store for the future. And talking of the future, Pocket Lint Britta O'Boyle joins me to talk about the Dyson Zone, the wacky-looking air-purifying headphones from the vacuum-cleaning company that promise to not only help you block out noisy commute, but also help you block out the pollution too. We've both worn them, and so what are they like? Stay tuned to find out. But first, back to you, Cam. Tell us more about what's been announced at the Huawei event.
2: So they launched or they announced a couple of things. The the one thing they announced was something they've actually launched already in China, which was their new foldable phone. Um, and it's quite interesting in terms of hardware because they've gone back to the, the original design of having the flexible foldable part wrapping around the outside rather right. than being a, a book style that folds internally like the Galaxy Fold.
1: And so that's the phone. Let's talk yes. about that before we get on to... Uh, the watches so apart from the change in the design what's the new exciting stuff here
2: well I mean it's mostly it's, it's going back to the old stuff but it's by but they've refined it essentially they've made the screen a lot more durable and they've also got rid of the crease which is something that's really good to see after a few generations of folding phones where you can see a line down the middle of the screen it's essentially Huawei's way of saying we can still do really good hardware put some good cameras in it they've made it really thin it almost reminded me once it was open of the i don't know if you've used the kindle oasis Hmm. which is really skinny and has that sort of little grip down one side of it it's it's almost like that when it's open and then when it's shut it just feels like a normal smartphone
1: and in terms of power and technology
2: Well, they haven't revealed a lot of the specs yet, but the camera is still equipped with really high-end lenses, capable of strong results, as you would expect from Huawei. They've always done really good cameras. So there's a triple camera system on the back with a telescopic zoom, um, lots of extra fun features like moon mode and all sorts of AI-driven photo modes that just enhance the images using the AI and processing power of the phone. But they don't talk a lot about the processor inside the phone because obviously they're still stuck in that whole um, US trade embargo situation, which stops them from being able to use their own or build their own new chips. So they're having to use older chips and only put 5, uh, 4G rather than 5G in them. So on, in that, on that side of things, it's not amazing, but the hardware design is is pretty cool.
1: And every time we talk about Huawei, we talk about how the app choice is actually getting better and better. And, and have you seen that continue to move on with this device?
2: Yeah, I think I don't think there's been a huge change since the last phone that we saw, which was only a few months ago. But it's something I think now it's at the point where we're not going to see any massive breakthroughs um, in a few months. I think it's going to be another year, two years, before we see whether they can actually stick this out or whether eventually they're just going to be forced to to pack it all in. Um, but it's certainly something interesting to watch. But I, I haven't seen anything yet to say that they're improving from last time. though. No.
1: Now, talking of watch, I'm going to use that as an awful pun to say <laughs> that they launched a couple of watches. They did. Um, what? Tell us more about that.
2: So these, to me, are actually quite exciting. So Huawei's watch range, the Watch GT in particular, is something we've reviewed a few times on the site, and they're just they're really, really good fitness watches. They're great for exercise. Um, But what they've done is they've taken all that high-end fitness tracking capability and stuck it in some really premium watches. So they look and feel like a luxury watch should look. So there's a larger 47-millimeter model, which is made from titanium. And there's a smaller one, which for the first time, which is 43 millimeters. And it's built entirely from ceramic. Um, So that one's actually really a a very different-looking smartwatch to anything we've seen before, I think. I think only Apple Watch has done a ceramic watch and even that wasn't round, it's square. So it's a very different looking watch and maybe one that will appeal to people who don't like those sort of masculine looking metal watches with leather bands and metallic link chains.
1: And and that seems to be the issue sometimes, doesn't it? You've got Apple, which has gone for a very square design that's kind of quite appealing to both men and women. And then you've got Garmin who go, oh, we want to do all the fitness, but at the same time be, become very big and very sort of masculine
2: yeah so the uh, yeah again exactly and i think the ceramic one is one that you would say probably is more traditionally feminine i mean my wife's taken the watch and she's wearing it and loves it so it's not something i would particularly like to wear but i mean it, it's certainly going to have appeal with different people i think
1: still to come britta and i discuss the Dyson Zone air purifying headphones
0: they're actually very hard to describe, I found when I was writing about them, it's quite, it's quite hard to sort of show how they actually work, but I did find that that visor, because it, it, it magnetically attaches and when you flip it down and stuff, I, did, I was quite pleasantly surprised by how smooth that operation was.
1: Forget electric vehicles, our cars, however they're powered, are getting more and more advanced in terms of the tech that they use and showcase to help us not only drive, but also to entertain us on the go. There's no one that knows that more than Ned Keurig, the chief technology officer of leading automotive group Stellanis, the parent company behind famous brands such as Fiat, Jeep, Chrysler and others. But with tech-first automakers like Tesla and Hyundai keen to make an impression on drivers today, how is the company keeping up with the fast pace of innovation? And do they need to? I started asking, Ned, how important in-car tech is for selling cars?
3: Sure, that's a great question. How important is uh, in-car tech for uh, selling cars? Um, Well, the customers have you know, went through evolution. Uh, I wouldn't say probably last thirty years. I think the the tech is uh, defined thirty years ago is very different from what's defined today. Thirty years ago, or even twenty years ago, uh, it was most about you know tech that uh, is in a, in a in a body or a propulsion mm-hmm. system, things like that. And now, uh, I wouldn't say probably the last ten years, and specifically specifically last five years has sort of changed to how people. Um, consume technology um, at home and hence has influence or at work and influence how influence expectations and how they uh, consume technology inside the vehicle so today i think it's more more important than ever that not not only the sort of vehicle performance propulsion system technology technologies are top notch but also in cabin uh, digital experience are uh, top notch but also connected digital experience so it 's super important today, i think more than ever
1: and and because of that and you and you talk about this over this last decade of of huge change that the industry has seen how how do you as a, as a car manufacturer go about creating you know keeping up with this this sort of the life cycle of of consumer electronics you know and the the rapid refresh cycles and experiences that you have to deliver when You know, when you look at cars, cars don't, you know, you've changed the car's design or or car's elements like every five to 10 years.
3: Yeah, it hasn't been easy, actually, for car manufacturing. In fact, it's been super, super hard to do that. And no car manufacturer has done any good job, I say, um, in the past decade uh, to exactly, to do the exact way you said, you know, keep up with all these rapid changes. Uh, But we do have a plans uh, with our uh, next generation a digital cabin to uh, change the game on that and um, and uh, execute on a plan uh, to move as much as possible that digital experience uh, to um, cloud, if you will. Mm-hmm. So we can then uh, change these experiences that people experience in a cabin in a more rapid fashion, uh, do it in the cloud, and then mirror that uh, inside the vehicle. So to keep the vehicle uh, up to date. Uh, We do plan uh, quarterly updates on that experience. Uh, And in many ways, we'll have some weekly updates uh, on on some of the experiences. Uh, And it will be possible by essentially uh, ensuring that vehicles are first connected um, to, you know, securely connected to the cloud. And then second, uh, making those uh, uh, changes in the cloud and not necessarily in the vehicle itself. Sometimes we have to make, uh, changes in a vehicle, and those going to be uh, uh, managed more carefully. But then we'll have ability to to change these experiences in the cloud, which then uh, customers experience in in a, in a vehicle. So that's how we are planning to to sort of speed up um, uh, and catch up to how a customers experience technologies at home or at work or mobile devices today.
1: And do you see that as a responsibility of of you as a as a as a car manufacturer across the range of brands that you, that you own, or do you see that as the responsibility of some of the software companies? I know in the U S for example, you've, you've embraced fire TV and in, in uh, the Jeep grand Cherokee and, and, mm-hmm. and some of the Chrysler models that hasn't come to the UK yet. So that's right. obviously one question if it is coming to the UK, but do you see that the success here is to lean on, on companies like Amazon or Apple with their, you know, in car experience or, you know, like Tesla is doing with supplying with Netflix and Disney Plus and, and mm-hmm. things like that? Or, or do you see it that you have to control that experience and, and it has to be something that, that your brand has, has created?
3: Great question. So I think ultimately it's our product and it's our experience. So we, we will build these experiences for uh, different car brands and, and demographics of the customers that love those those brands. So And those experiences are going to be a little bit different from, let's say, Jeep Wagoneer to a Jeep Wrangler to then Alfa Romeo customers and, and our Maserati customers, Peugeot and Citroën customers. Uh, the, these customers, of course, in demographics, uh, have a different needs um, of, for the vehicles that they that they buy, and and those vehicles are our products, and digital experiences are part of our products. So we absolutely will build those. Uh, the question in terms of a content uh, that you brought brought up, um, mm. what kind of content then you bring in the vehicle? Um, you know, Fire TV, is as mentioned in Wagoneer in North America, and um, different video streaming media content. Uh, and, and applications will really depend on a on a target audience and, and geography so for example it may be a little bit different in uk than that let's say in um in north america but then if you think about uk and north america uh you know the media uh is 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 almost identical uh in mm-hmm. in that sense so you'll have your uh, media streaming uh, video streaming applications like uh, you know five you know, Fire TV and Netflix's uh, Prime Video, those sort of things, uh, but also uh, you know, audio, audio podcast and like yourselves, and uh, and uh, 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 Spotify, and so forth. So um, those, some of those will be um, global, uh, and some will be regional in terms of content.
1: And how do you within that? You know, you've mentioned some some amazing brands there. How, how do you is in your role? How how do you go about thinking? Well, okay, the Alfa Romeo customer might want this technology, but the Maserati customer will definitely want that technology, and and maybe the Vauxhall you know customer will want this. When you think, well, actually, it's software and it's economies of scale, and we could just why doesn't everybody get everything? How, yeah. how do you go about? How do you go about defining that between the brands?
3: Yeah yeah. Uh great question. So um the the one thing that we will do uh and we are doing right now is doing this radical simplification on electronics and hardware platform first and then on a software stack as well. And so what we build um in terms of a digital cabin software is going to be identical for all uh, all our brands. Uh what's going to be different is then then these uh, 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 content and application services for different uh, for mm. different brands, uh, depending what kind of what kind of screens and what kind of uh, uh, audio systems. Uh, the different vehicles have in, in the vehicles. And so how do we go about making decisions? Obviously, it goes from understanding the customer first. And so we have, as part of our strategy, uh, therefore at 2030, have sort of focused ourselves on a customer. Uh, how the customers experience our vehicles? What is it that actually they want to do? Uh, what's the difference between the Alpha customer and a Jeep customer? and And, you know, the Jeep customer, of course, is sort of a, you know, uh, a customer that wants to go outside and 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 go in a, in a sure. uh, on a trails and those sort of things and, and they're gonna need some sort of a trail tracking application versus uh, somebody who's in alpha doesn't really need a trail tracking but but both customers do need the audio streaming service for example so we'll have audio streaming for both but then we'll have a, a different experiences uh, alpha customers gonna probably want to have um uh, some sort of understanding uh, how they cut corners and go fast. And so sure. we'll have some performance applications for Alpha, but not necessarily for the Jeep, for example.
1: And so what's your vision of a connected car?
3: So connected car is a car that has connectivity, uh, multiple channels of connectivity. Um, uh, and it's always... Um, Connected uh, through a a manufacturer channel uh, for um, analysis, uh, over the air updates, warranty information, reconfigurations, those sort of things. Uh, And there is also a channel, a customer channel. Uh, which then is focused on on a customer connectivity, and so we have to be very deliberate about you know what goes on the manufacturer channel and uh, what goes on the customer channel. I think the you know there's a there's a need, of course, to have both, and in some cases customers, and actually in actually all of these cases, uh, customers get to choose really how to to leverage um, to leverage that connectivity.
1: And do you feel that that's something that you're Achieving at the moment, or want to achieve, or, or how long do you think that's going to be before you know you you envisage your your kind sort of technical belief in what the car can do and, and what it wants to do? Uh,
3: so ground up, uh, all our vehicles or most of our vehicles—I should say all—but most of the vehicles will have built-in uh, modems. They'll have a built-in gateways to connect um, to uh, connected um, uh, platforms. Um, So in 24 and on, uh, we will have the connectivity. And then for different geographies, uh, we'll choose what type of connectivity we will deploy. Uh, But in terms of uh, primitive, basic um, building blocks for connectivity, uh, all of our vehicles uh, will inherit that with a new um, Stella Brain uh, and Stella Digital Cabin platforms.
1: And I presume that's all through the partnership you're doing with Qualcomm, and, and Snapdragon to be able to power that. What does what does that partnership bring to the experience that you wouldn't have been able to do before you sort of you signed up with them?
3: That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So uh, this partnership with with Qualcomm gives us ability then to use um, the um, the technology from Qualcomm then to enable a high performance compute. Um, inside the vehicle, and to deliver the kind of experiences that uh, customers are uh, familiar with on their mobile devices and their home devices. And on the top of that, uh, to then provide the, um, the seamless uh, connectivity to multiple channels. Um, uh, otherwise, you know, choosing multiple hardware providers uh, or partners, uh, we would have to stitch a lot of pieces together. With Qualcomm, we feel that with the one solid partner, Mm-hmm. Uh, we can achieve um, a lot more.
1: Now, over the years, we've seen cars get more and more, uh, give you more and more assistance. You know, when I first started driving, you had a choke and, you know, a manual choke, and then it went to an automatic choke, and now you never hear anybody talk about chokes ever again yeah, because right. you, do, you don't need them. How far, you know, there's a lot of talk about self driving cars, and I know we're a long way from that. How far do you think companies like yourselves, through your brands, will take that assisted driving? to 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 the limits. How you know how how much further do you think we've got on assisting you to drive?
3: That's great. I'm I'm glad there's still somebody out there who knows what the joke is. To <laughs> uh, um, you know, I, I I think it's a it's a journey. It's a journey. Uh, you know, ADA systems are getting much better. Um, we will deploy a next generation ADA system, uh, Stellar to drive starting 24. Uh, which will uh, provide additional assistance. I think where we, we we haven't done a really good job generally in automotive industry is to make that experience quite seamless and delightful for customers. There's still lots of rough edges around assisted driving, but it's getting better. I think every new generation of the system is getting better. So you can expect um, that our vehicles, all our brands, uh, will have a version of assisted driving systems Um and uh, eventual to a point where you can do um, hence uh, uh, free driving on a freeway, uh, mm. and that will happen probably uh, mid um, mid decade to uh, premium ve- premium uh, brand vehicles, where you can get on a freeway and uh, at, a, at a certain um, uh, on a certain conditions and and release um, the the wheel and control the wheel to to the vehicle. Um, uh, that I think few manufacturers have already announced they're going to be deploying those vehicles. Uh, we will be deploying uh, premium brand uh, vehicles on our technology, technology that we're building uh, as we speak, in a partnership with BMW, um, where uh, we are focusing not really on just a laundry list of capabilities, but on um, on a limited set of uh, really important. Uh, safety features as well as sort of features that delight that customers and make their um drive more more productive more more enjoyable of course priorities on safety first
1: sure and how and how important is i suppose you know a lot of this is obviously all powered by artificial intelligence and and stuff how how important is that to to the field of of, of car manufacturing going forward do you see that as one of the big driving forces now
3: to, uh, absolutely the Absolutely. The machine learning uh, has, you know, went through through such immense um, evolution um, last decade. And uh, a lot of people now refer to this sort of artificial intelligence world. Um, And absolutely. So, uh, you know, you know, AI or machine learning. Is extremely important from a from a design phase to to deployment phase of the vehicles and, and 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 life cycle of the vehicles. Everything that we talked about in terms of ADAS is uh, you know uh, machine learning is in the heart of it and the AI uh, more. Uh, complex techniques uh, such as uh, deep neural networks uh, is going to, of course, be deployed uh, to help make decision on um, on a vehicle behavior. Um, uh, it is a core of everything that we plan and a core of many things that we do today. AI. And,
1: and I suppose the final question I have for you, uh, Ned, is that as, as the chief technology officer, you obviously get to see a lot of technology whether it's old emerging you know not even really thought about what what have you seen most recently that you're most excited about for the future from a technology point of view in cars
3: I think some of the um, biggest advancements going to come in uh, uh, propulsion systems uh, and new technologies in the propulsion systems I think what we uh, are excited about the the new chemistry new ways of uh, putting um, uh, more density energy density in a different systems so we can we can um, have a lighter vehicles in the future and or um, with the same weight we can pack far more uh, energy uh, so we can remove this sort of a dependency on on um, on, um, on, on existing chemistry, which uh, sort of are uh, uh, prohibitive in terms of uh, large-scale uh, deployment. Customers do still have anxiety about, you know, electric vehicle charging network and those mm-hmm. sort of things. Uh, so I think that's, to me, is probably most exciting um, development um, that I've seen in many of the startups that we are looking in our own internal development. There are a lot of things
1: that spring to mind when you first see the Dyson Zone, the company's air-purifying, noise-canceling headphones. The concept looks ridiculous. It sounds crazy, and it might just be the initial perspective. But is it actually futuristic and sensible? Inevitable, even. Well, both Britta and I have tried out the prototype model on two different occasions. And fresh from my visit to Dyson's Innovation Centre in the Cotswolds in the UK, Britta joins me to discuss whether this stuff is of dystopian sci-fi dreams or the next big thing. So I'm going to let you go first, Britta, because I think that's funny. Uh, (laughs) What do you think of it when you had a go?
0: So I thought it was quite cool, though definitely definitely makes you look a bit funny um <laughs> <laughs> i'm not it, it it's the, the headphones themselves i think are lovely actually and and the, obviously the premium quality of the design and stuff is very dyson and very nice um they're obviously a little bit bigger because the filters are in there yeah,
1: yeah of- so let's just let's rewind perhaps for some of the audience that don't understand what we're talking about so <laughs> these are not an april fool's joke although it came out around April Fool's time.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> They're a pair of noise-cancelling headphones that are slightly larger than your average noise-cancelling headphones. And then there's a visor that comes from one headphone to the other ear cup, one ear cup to the other ear cup, that cuts across your face as if you're in the Borg or some <laughs> sci-fi kind of dune or something. So that be the best way to describe it?
0: I think so. Yeah, <laughs> they're actually very hard to describe. I found when I was writing about them, it's quite it's quite hard to sort of show how they actually work. But I did find that that visor, when it it because it magnetically attaches, and when you flip it down and stuff, I did I was quite pleasantly surprised by how smooth that operation was. I don't know if you felt the same.
1: Yeah, and this because it was interesting as well. You could you could completely ditch the visor. So the idea is that there's two motors in the ear cups, one on each side, that are effectively a miniaturized version of what you'd find in their vacuum cleaners or their hair dryers. Yeah. And that sucks in air through a filter, <laughs> which is a miniaturized version of what you'd find in the vacuum cleaners, and then spews that air out into a visor which catches the air in front of your nose and your mouth. Yeah. Now, the thing I thought was quite interesting is that... Through all that description, I was expecting kind of like, like a wind tunnel of air to sort of be you know like just constantly just smashing your face and your lips of like here's fresh air take it kind of thing. And and I don't know whether you found it. It, it didn't seem like that at all. It, it was very subtle.
0: Yes, yeah, I did find it. I, th- I did thought it was. I did think it was very subtle. It's also um, quite natural. I felt when I tried it on. I tried it on inside. I don't know if you were outside when you yeah were-
1: i was in a, a conference room in in, in malmesbury which <laughs> is the uh, innovation center so we're not we weren't in a you know in a heavily polluted area uh so and you know i i want to stress and, and, and i know you probably tried a similar model but this is very much prototype stuff lots of things i got the feeling could change will change yeah. you know work out from there but i think it's just it's such an interesting concept i mean they were talking to me about this idea that there are sensors on the headphones that would be able to monitor the pollution that you're experiencing and therefore give you a, at the end of your journey, give you a kind of like, here are the points where it was really bad. Or actually, you've just done this whole trip and you didn't need to wear the visor because the pollution was OK.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. They also, um, you can put your location into the app, I believe, um, and then it will sort of um, autocorrect, I suppose, or automatically decide what it's feels like you might need based on research that they've done that's the impression that i got anyway um
1: yeah and they kind of sweet, again still to be decided but it was this idea as well that you the headphones might be able to give you an alert to say hey we're, we're detecting that pollution is really bad in this area and so therefore if you haven't got the visor on you should think about putting the visor on
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's- which I
1: thought, you know, that was it wasn't a confirmed feature, but that was obviously clearly where it wants to go. Yeah,
0: which does make sense to be honest, because if you don't have to wear the visor all the time, I don't think it's necessarily such a bad thing because it is interesting looking.
1: <laughs> yeah, and now that's the, the question is is who's going to wear this and where they're going to wear it.
0: I mean, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? A lot of people are, um, over the past two years, we've all got used to wearing masks on our face now, haven't we? And and mm. that was obviously quite um, different to begin with, but then people adapted and and now it's quite normal. Um, so it's possible that it could become normal, I suppose, um, and that you see someone walking down the street and you don't bat an eyelid. I do think that might take a while, though, and I, I do think that in this country, um, we're obviously based in the UK, but in this country, I do think that it might be, might take some time before... Um, you won't get looked at rather strangely. Yeah,
1: I think it certainly didn't feel as claustrophobic as wearing a a, a mask, and no. we've all got used to wearing a fabric mask on our face anyway. And and to be personally, like personally, I I don't find the masks you know an issue wearing having worn masks for the last two years. I don't find it an issue anyway, yeah. and even for long periods of time. What I think is interesting is I I I also not sure whether the pollution in the UK or even the US i'm sure there's some hot spots there but it is, is generally probably bad enough for the, for you to warrant a device like this all the time unless you suffer from uh you know uh, breathing difficulties or or all those kind of things from yeah. you know uh, probably even like a really bad case of hay fever or you know <laughs> sort of con- you know we're in london you are talking about you know ultra low emissions and all the other stuff because they realize it's a concept i think where it was very telling i thought when i spoke to one of the engineers who been involved in the design of the product he was like well we expect a filter to last 12 months in the uk uh we expect it to last a lot less than that in china yeah and we expect it to last even shorter time frame in 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 india and so i can see this kind of being really popular in sort of the Far East in kind of places like Shanghai and Beijing and stuff like that, where the smog and pollution levels are, are crazy on certain days. Yeah. And, and and therefore making a difference if you're kind of going out, I don't think it's a future that we necessarily want to sort of acknowledge or believe is necessary, but in reality it probably is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. I think, I think there are definitely some places in the world where it would probably come in quite useful. And, and because it's like a natural experience the actual breathing part of it I mean yes you look a little bit strange wearing it but um the actual sort of concept and what it actually manages to achieve is quite nice I I found when I tested it mm. um and actually the I don't know um what you thought about the sound but I thought the sound was very good when I listened to it so.
1: yeah it's good I think the the only any complaint so far I have and I, I think this is something they're very obviously aware of is is it was a very heavy headset yes yeah. Um, and and they've kind of tried to build the batteries into the into the headband to try and get away from the their weight being on your ears and there's you know, very big cushioning, uh, which the engineer was like it's designed like a horse's saddle because that's the best way to try and distribute the the thing and it wasn't it wasn't heavy to wear as in like it hurt to wear it but I it was very obvious that it was on and this is you know someone that wears uh, the AirPods Max. Which are a heavy set, and if you you know if you're used to the Sony MX one thousand fours, MX fours, you know, kind of think this would be like a putting a couple of bricks on your head, <laughs> you know, because they're they're brilliant. Those the Sony's are fantastic, aren't they? But they're also very light.
0: Yeah, uh, which is the thing, isn't it? Because if you're wearing it for a long period of time, you might find that it does become sort of. If you're just testing it for ten minutes or so, that and you've noticed they're heavy, you think after a few hours of wearing it you might find Mm. it might be a bit much but they certainly look
1: so the big question is do you think that you would ever find yourself wearing this out in public ready to get the stares of everybody
0: (laughs) I'm not sure I'm thick skinned enough to wear it out in public just yet so I'm gonna say no on that one
1: (laughs) I I think yeah I think I'm the same I think I would be very conscious uh, yeah. you know it, it reminded me of when i you know wore google glass or any of those kind of you know wearable headsets you kind of people acknowledge that something weird is happening and i think you'd get very much the same looks
0: yeah <laughs> ask me ask me again in a few months maybe i won't care so much what people think
1: <laughs> well that's it for this week's show until next time thanks for listening pip pip